Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of the SA Pioneering Podcast. In this episode, we hear from Alan Hirsch, who shared a talk on releasing movements at the Salvation Army's Emerge Pioneer Gathering in May 2021. Alan Hirsch is the author of numerous award-winning books, including The Forgotten Ways, 5Q and Re-Jesus. Alan is widely considered to be a global thought leader on missional movements and leadership. He has worked with churches across the world, as well as founding organisations that focus on pioneering leadership development and training and consulting on the church as a missional movement. In the talk, Alan asked some great questions and we'd love to hear your thoughts and experiences. If you'd like to carry on the conversation, please join our SA Pioneering discussion group on Facebook. To find it, just search SA Pioneering Podcast on Facebook and it should be there. So I think that's enough from us. So let's now head over to Alan and we'll hear his talk on releasing movements. a wonderful honor to be here with you and um, sharing from down under um, I've actually changed my topic and I've uh, got permission uh, to do so because I, I actually think it fits the theme of what you you know you're exploring this year and I think it also fits the conditions that we find ourselves in in the western church in the, in the 21st century particularly under the COVID so let me begin uh, by a story uh, about <clears throat> oh, gosh, it would be about six years ago now I was invited, a very cool story, uh, invited to be part of a group of people, we were about, well, 40, 50 of us, met in Wittenberg in Germany. Now, Wittenberg, as you know, is the, you know, the birthplace of the Re- Reformation. <clears throat> and uh, it was very cool. We were meeting there on Reformation weekend, Reformation Sunday. And even cooler, we were meeting Luther's study, uh, which was really quite phenomenal on Reformation Sunday. and. Uh, our, our our task, each one of us was given, and we were authors and thinkers and all that kind of folk, um, given the task to speak to, uh, and then we have a discussion around, uh, do we need new Reformation? And of course, it was the time just before the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. So very poignant and uh, a meaningful time. But my time came along to share, and I suggested, yeah, you always need reform. You do, actually. Reform is the, you know, your cultural expression of the church, and um, you never reach perfection, and you should always be reforming. I think it's a good thing, and I think we should. Semper reformanda, keep reforming. Um, you don't get stuck on old models of church, right? So nothing wrong with that. But I, I suggested that probably more fundamentally what we needed in our time was refounding. A refounding was this idea of going beyond the founders of our organizations, in your case, the booths, as being, you know, your, your kind of your, your, you know, your catalytic force, really, but actually beyond your founders of your organization or your denomination, back to the founder of the of the faith, and to recalibrate ourselves along that line. I like the word recalibration, but you can even use the word reboot or or reset. Um, um, and this idea of uh, the refounding implies, and we'll use the whiteboard a bit uh, tonight. Uh, it implies that the founder is found, is present in some form or way in the movement that claims his name. Or, so in the case of, let's say, Judaism, uh, you, should, uh, you should expect or that Judaism up here. You should expect uh, that, you know, who's the founder? Well, you know, it's possibly, let me just take that out. 
um, it's um, it's either Abraham or Moses, um, and you should expect that you know to some degree um, in Judaism there's a reflection of either, and where Judaism patterns on Moses, it, it takes on the legal, the the Torah kind of stuff. On Abraham, it's much more a journeying and venturing faith. There's some correlation between Judaism and its founder. In the case of let's say Islam, you have Muhammad uh, and Islam. Um, you should expect that there should be some correlation there. Uh, Buddhism, you've got Buddha, um, Buddhism, and of course, with and you go on Christian, uh, you know, Christ, Christianity. You have uh, Christ over here, right? So, uh, and and why I say this is important is because um, you should expect that the movement that claims the name of the founder um, should look and resonate with or, or, or reflect the founder's ideas. Uh, and I say this like when, for instance, when Christianity is violent, it is contrary to the founder. Um, you, you can't create a kind of violent idea of Jesus, you know. Uh, I have to say that when, when you know, either Judaism or, or, uh, or Islam is violent, it's probably quite consistent with the founder in some ways. Um, simply because, you know, they were reasonably violent folk themselves. All I'm saying, there ought to be a, a correlation between the two. I don't mean that to be uh, insensitive, but just simply acknowledging that. Now, in my opinion, friends, I think um, refounding um, is actually the very, very important and most needful thing right now. I think the re returning to the founder, what I call the re-Jesus effect, re-Jesusing, is I, ca I can't think of something more important in our time. And this is what is what I call an apocalyptic year. And literally the word apocalypse in the Bible does mean to reveal, uh, to unveil, uh, to expose, right? And we've had one of those years, right? We've had our theology, our spirituality, our ecclesiology apocalypsed, uh, exposed. I feel pretty exposed. And I look at the church and I think, you know, it's exposed. We've had an apocalypse of the church's soul for all to see, but and the watching world. And I don't think it's particularly pretty at the moment. And again, I'm referring mainly to my experience with American church, American evangelicalism. But um, but I think this is a, is a world phenomenon to some degree. And and I, I'll be honest, and I've already said this to you, friends, and I've, this has been quite a, a challenge to me. It's been a shock to realize that, you know, uh, you know, that the church doesn't correspond, um, doesn't imitate the founder, doesn't reflect the founder very well. Uh, I have this idea that, you know, if a church doesn't look, act, sound, and think like Jesus, I'm not so sure if it's a church. Um, I, I'm just not so sure anymore, right? So I'm going to get you reflecting on that. Um, as a kind of the marks of the church, but surely we should expect the church to look, act, sound, and think like the founder, like Jesus. And yet um, I look at, again, a lot of the expression, particularly in the American election um, and some of the behavior, um, the violent language, uh, it, it's just so unchristlike. It's, it's a very shocking time, but it's exposed something that I think we have to pay attention to. COVID friends uh, has been uh, what the Americans call a wet cement moment. Uh, you know, wet cement is, you, you know, it's wet. You can make an impact now. Um, things will settle down eventually and go back to some sort of new, new, new normal. I don't think it'll be the same. 
but um, but it's a wet cement moment. And the churches, just like the churches in the book of Revelation, mind you, the churches, um, Jesus expects him to repent. And um, and he's, he's kind of knocking, one of the images of the church is Jesus knocking on the door of the church coming, asking to get in. The question is that, you know, you have to ask the question, what's Jesus doing on the outside when they're singing songs to him on the inside? I don't know if you ever thought about that. What's he doing outside asking to get in uh, to the church? That's one of them. And the other one he says, I um, can't remember which one is which, but he says to them, recover your first love. Uh, and first love is not that oozy woozy kind of feeling you had when you first became a Christian, but it's your defining love, your first love, your primary love, your foundational one, which is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Return to your first love. Um, and he says, if you don't, I'll, I'll remove your lampstands. In other words, judgment is upon them. Can I suggest, friends, that there's, this is one of those times I think we now find ourselves right across the Western world. I think it's a great opportunity to reset, to push reboot, to recalibrate back to Jesus, to make sure that we correlate appropriately to our founder. So what we think of God, how we think about God matters hugely. I think it goes without saying. But um, let me quote William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, mid-20th century. He said this, if your conception of God is radically false, then the more devout you are, the worse it will be for you because you're opening your soul to, to be molded by something else. It is much better, says the Archbishop, that you be an atheist. If your conception of God is radically false, the more devout you are, the more passionate you are about the false idea of God, the worst it's going to be for you. And you're opening your soul to be molded by forces other than God. You know, better, better be an atheist. It's, don't mess around with faith. Now, folks, coming from an archbishop and a very wise man, that's something, something to be pay attention to there. So the question is then, how, how do we know, friends, that we, how do we get it right? How do we know we get God right? Well, I think that the only way we know that when we got God right as Christians is to know that we get God right in Jesus Christ. Um, now, how do, how do I know this? Well, because Jesus himself says this. Um, in Acts, uh, sorry, in uh, uh, John, I think it's chapter 11, uh, Andrew uh, um, is, is asking Jesus, um, uh, Jesus, show us the Father. And now he's, Jesus has been with them. This is towards the end of the journey. They're heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus has been with them for two or three years, depending how you date it. And uh, he says, I think, somewhat exasperated to Andrew at this point. He says, dude, or equivalent of dude, mate, mate, I've, I've been with you for, you know, two years, you know. <laughs> you know, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you've seen me, don't ask to know the Father. Look at me. Um, in other words, he binds um, Andrew's and our understanding of God to himself. Elsewhere, he says, I and the Father are one. I only do what I see the Father doing. He's the revealer of the Father's will. He comes from eternity. And this is all loaded through the book of John, but of course, it, it's all the way through the Bible. This idea that, that God is Christ-like, <laughs> and in him there is no unchrist-likeness at all at all um uh it's see friends it's not so much that jesus is like god 
He is like God. He's is wonderfully like God, but it's more that God is like Christ. And that I think we need to pay attention to. Um, Christianity, friends, defines, identifies itself by how we understand God in Jesus Christ. Yes, it's Trinitarian, yes. But we come to the knowledge of the Trinity only through the work of the Son. That whatever knowledge we have of God comes through the window or the prism of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, there is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He defines us. He defines how we understand God. Christian leaders get that right before going on and doing church and messing with people's lives. If you don't get that right, then everything goes wrong. Um, and I would suggest to you this, friends, is that if we ever find ourselves lost, as I'm sure, like I said, I confess to myself feeling a little lost with the church. I'm not lost with Jesus on this, by the way. But I feel when you find yourself lost, you well, what's this all about? Uh, how do we find renewal? I would suggest that we it's time to read Jesus, the church. Read Jesus, the church. I have a formula. I don't have a lot in my writings. Um, some of you might. I know some of you have read uh, Forgotten Ways, but you'll find this uh, comes through the Forgotten Ways. I say this, that's when I, I'm going to sound fancy, but it's not that fancy. Christology. I'll, I'll say I'll say it fancy and then I'll come back. Determines missiology, determines ecclesiology, um, and ecclesiology goes to Christology. That's the read Jesus effect. Now, what I mean by Christology? Christology is everything we know about Jesus Christ. Um, it's it's not just uh, you know it's not just his saving work on our behalf. It's the total phenomenon that is Jesus. And I would suggest to you that it determines our sentness or our mission in the world comes from christ we're commissioned by him we're sent by the father and the son or the father and the son send uh, the father sends the son the father and the son send the spirit and jesus said as the father sent me so i send you we are missioned into the world we can get that from jesus and our ecclesiology our expression of the church as god's people uh comes out of our missions now, in other words and i'm not going to focus on this part of the equation particularly now um, but that's a fascinating thing, and I've written a lot about that. It's called missional ecclesiology. How does the church take shape in from the context in which it finds itself in mission? But what is most important is that the church is constantly, and I mean regularly, to go back to Dr. Jesus for the checkup. The re-Jesus effect is constantly returning to Christ to realign, to make sure that we are indeed um, corresponding, indexed to Jesus properly. And I would suggest, your friends, we cannot leave this uh, for very long because we, we we experience a kind of mission drift very very quickly. We lose our center. In fact, like it's, like is already said in the book of Revelations, the church there is already lost. You know the fact that Jesus is barred from the church. He's outside knocking on the door, coming asking to get in. This kind of dynamic happens very quickly, even in the New Testament church. And I would suggest you yeah, this is the reality of what we are facing now. We're facing a church that needs to go back to Jesus and see if it lines up. Does it look, act, sound, and think like Jesus? And friends, in my opinion, I come to a conclusion that if it doesn't look, act, and sound, and think like Jesus, it's probably not the church. And so I think that this is the most important thing we can do now. Salvation Army, or any church, um, back to Jesus. And I would say just a regular checkup uh, 
you know, with both the Gospels and um, with, with all that in mind. Uh, and I, I think, why as I say this, because I think for many Christians, their concept of God, this goes back to William Temple's idea, their concept of God is making them sick. And, and uh, I, think, I, th I think making the world sick as a result. I'll tell you a story and we'll take a break uh, and have a, 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 a kind of question group. Uh, story, one of my favorite um, series on, on, on television was uh, Homer Simpson, The Simpsons. Um, I think it's very adult. It's not good for kids. And it's kind of, it's, yeah, I don't think our kids understand it. But anyway, it's a, the, this, one of my favorite uh, episodes is a thing called Mission Possible. Mission Possible starts with Homer, uh, as he often does, he's sitting at home watching the television. And he um, happens to be in America, they have a station called PBS. It's kind of the public. It's, it's a charity-based kind of, you know, channel. So it's, it's usually not, not well done, but it's always asking for money. Anyway, um, so they're asking for money. Uh, and Homer's a nice guy. He's a kind of sentimental dude, right? So, yeah, you know, they're asking for money. So he phones up and says, oh, I give $10 million to, to uh, PBS. I'm, I'm donating $10 million. Now, understand this about Homer. He didn't have $10 million. And um, if he had it, he probably wouldn't give it. He just wanted to feel good and wanted them to feel good, right? But anyway, um, so the next scene in in this the 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 um, in the in the, in the, in the cartoon is that uh, all these people come to collect. So they're outside his house and they got banners. Uh, you know, Homer Simpson is our hero. Homer saves the day. Yay, yay, yay! You know, Homer. Now Homer's been a bit of a bind now. You know, so so what what do I do? So he says, oh, well, we we better walk to the bank, right, to to, to get the money. So they're walking to the bank and he's trying to figure out how he's going to get out of this. And he says. Uh, so he, he discovers, you know, he just takes a break and he, he cuts and runs from, from the group. Now they turn out to be a baying mob. They chase him down, right, because he cheated on them. And he makes his way into the first church of Springfield where his nemesis, Reverend Lovejoy, abides. And uh, now he's taking refuge in, 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 in the local church, right? And the baying mob is outside. Give him to us. We're going to do him over. We're going to lynch him. Uh, do him over, right? So... So Lovejoy doesn't get it over Homer very much. And so he says to him, okay, Homer, I'll get you out of here. I'll sneak you out of here. But to pay for your sins, you're going to do some short-term mission. And um, so I'm going to send you on a short-term short mission trip. Homer says, yeah, anything, anything, just get me out of here. So um, he puts him in the back of the car, puts him under a blanket in the back seat, and goes through the mob, um, and he gets him to the airport. And at the airport, um, uh, he... Um, he, you know, and it's just a wonderful scene where he's he he he's going up up, you know, he's just about to go up onto the uh, airplane, and he says this. He says, um, "Jeebus, Jeebus, but 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 but, but I, I don't know anything about Jeebus, right now, folks. If you don't get the idea of this, right, is that, um, you know, he doesn't even know, know the name of Jesus. That's a bit of a problem when you're going on missions, don't you think?" So he's going to take Jeebus with him. And, uh, and so off he goes, right? So, and, uh, and it's a cute little scene. He's flying away, and you can see it in the, in the kind of the, the window. He's hammering on the window. He says, save me, Jeebus, save me. And he's like, you know, it's kind of quite cute. Then they land, right? So now he's gone into this. You've got to think like a completely unreached people group. No one's ever been there. No white people. And, you know, they're cannibals. So you've got them with spears, and they've got bones in their noses. You know, it's caricature, right? And so, you know, he's standing on top of the stairwell 
and he's just about to go down and meet these people, you know, who he's going to do some missions with. And he, he's terrified and he's, he's, a, he's a coward. Um, anyway, he hits the ground. He gets on the ground and he, he thinks he's going to get eaten. So he hits the ground and he's writhing on the ground. Oh, Lord, oh, God, oh, God. And he's like, you know, he's crying out to God, right? Uh, everyone else hits the ground and copies him. And lo and behold, revival breaks out. Um, and, you know, so now, you know, everyone's like praising God, right? Uh, and now home is kind of emboldened by this, and he begins to preach Jeebus religion, Jeebus this and Jeebus that. And of course, he introduced womanizing, boozing, and gambling. And lit literally within weeks or months or whatever, the whole previously pristine little group of people, you know, begin to break down because of all these things that's going on and they the folks they realize that you know they were better off before this missionary came and they boot him off the island and off he goes back and it just it's another homer simpson episode right i i, I kind of like it it's a cute episode because it says this if we get jesus wrong if we get a jeebus religion of our own right where we fundamentally misunderstand the nature of the christian religion uh, and, and we get all excited about it. We can we not only poison our own souls, friends, we poison the souls of other people and the people around about us. And I think that is that is a that is a stark reminder for us, a wake-up call as to the kind of religion um, that we need to express is one that models and embodies Christ, which I'm going to do in our second session when we come back. So let me, now you're going to go into discussion groups. Um, um, and um, the questions are this, and I'll, I'll explain them and you'll see them, um, you know, they'll give you kind of, uh, in your in your checkbox, you'll be able to see them. So I say, Alan claims that it's Christology, that is our understanding of Jesus, everything about him, that is the recalibration point for the church in any time and place. Do you agree with him? Uh, and, you know, if not, what do you think the church's defining center? Where do we recalibrate to? What's the point by which we recalibrate to? If it's not Jesus, what is it? So if you agree with me or disagree with me, have a discussion, see what you think. And I, you know, we'll maybe hear what you, you know, what you say. The, the other one is uh, if you get to it, uh, if a group claiming to be the church doesn't look and act and sound and think like Jesus, is it a church? Um, it's a good question. I want you to discuss that. So session two, um, I want to just build on from that, that um, the, the fact that Jesus is the absolute center, which we, you know, which we reboot back to and we've re the whole idea of refounding. Uh, it was um, a French theologian, um, uh, and philosopher called Jacques Ellul, Ellul, in his um, in his book, the Subversion of Christianity, he, he he comes he comes up with this formula, and I'm going to just use the whiteboard again, that Christianity minus Christ equals religion. Now. Um, he, what he means by religion here is not the positive thing. You know, you can say religion could be used in a neutral or positive way. He's not meaning it that way. Um, and he would say that, you know, that is what often happens. Now, just, just so that you can think about this. Um, 
he suggests this as a practical exercise, right? If you, with your church, you know, with, the, you know, your church, get, a, get everyone to get a full scap paper. There's one printer page of paper. And what you're going to do is going to, we're encouraging people, we're going to read the Gospels through once, and we're going to try and outline on a, on in bullet points, not a, not an essay, nothing fancy, just bullet points to the basic ideas that what Jesus is on about and what he represented, what he taught. Just on one full scope page, bullet points, write out on what, who Jesus was and what he was on about. And then he suggests you can um, you can take any point in, in the Christendom experience, it could be the 10th, the 12th, the 16th, the 18th, the 20th century, it's up to you, whatever century you want. And as much as you can, another full spec, uh, full scale page of paper, uh, write down on that paper what you see of Christianity in that century. So write it down, bullet points, right? And then he, he suggests this, right? He says, then compare them. You look at the Jesus one, excuse me, and you look at the you know, whatever church history one you're looking at, you look at the two, and and, and I, he, I quote him here, not me, as a European, he says, they are at all points different. Now, that's probably an overstatement. Um, we'll put it down to his French, the, the French thing. Um, but Don, it is, you, if you look at what the church has got up to in history, you do have to wonder about it, friends, that to, to, to some degree that we've taken Jesus out of the equation, we end up with religion and a religion that can be very, very dangerous. Indeed, we already looked at some aspects of that just prior in the, in the previous session. What he suggests, of course, is that <clears throat> you put Jesus back in and religion goes out. Religion is not a good thing, in his, in his, like I said, in his book. Um, and, and we are very prone to it, uh, I think. Now, I'm going to do exercise with you. And um, no, we, I can't have you sh calling out. Well, I can, but it's a little hard on, on COVID. So I'm going to fill in the blanks. But I think, I think um, you know, you see if you can follow me on this, right? Um, if I said to you, friends, that the Pharisees um, get bad press, in, in the Bible, I think you'd, you'd agree with me. So I said, like, if, 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 we, if we're going to have an altar call here and uh, said every head bowed, every eye closed, uh, who wants to be a Pharisee? I want to suggest you no one in the room uh, right now is going to put the hand up. Is that correct? I think so. And um, so, um, but, but, you know, the truth is that they get bad press. So, so you can read between the lines, and if you know a bit about your New Testament history uh, and culture and the setting, um, you can say some good things about the Pharisees. So what I usually do, I say, okay, tell me, tell me a bit about them, right? And uh, uh, well, heck, let's do it. Tell me some things. Um, you can just unmute yourself and shout it out. What do you say? Some good things about the Pharisees. I'm going to say the first thing: uh, they tithed, and they were very good tithers. Uh, they went beyond what was required. So Mintra and Kamen were not listed in the in the Mishnah. Uh, they went beyond that, and they literally tithed meticulously. Great tithers. You want them in your church. What else could you say? They were devout. Yes, yeah, that's the way to do it. Uh, they tithed. They were devout people. In fact, their devotion is pretty pretty amazing. So if you look at, like, Paul as an example of a Pharisee, uh, you've got to think like, a, you know, it's a, it's a Middle Eastern phenomenon, right? It's more like a suicide bomber than it is a, a polite Englishman, right? Um, 
they're very passionate, very devout, pious, zealous people. And uh, so absolutely. Um, they believed in the resurrection. Yes, as opposed to the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. They affirmed the resurrection, right? They believed in the Bible. Um, they defended the the authority of scripture over against the Sadducees again. Sadducees were like the liberals of the day um, and, and they were at odds with the Pharisees, you know, but um, and, the, and the, the Pharisees actually were responsible for what we now know as the Old Testament canon. They're the ones who, and the scribes were pushing towards this idea of a, a central defining collection of books uh, that became the canon. And, and you got, so, so they were devout, let me write them out, devout. They were sincere. I see someone sees sincere, absolutely sincere. There, they, uh, they, they, they fasted. Um, they, they were pious. Their prayer life was pretty good. Prayer. Um, they tithed. Um, they believed in the resurrection. Um, they defended the Bible. Uh, what else can we say about them? They were the custodians of Israel in the time when Israel was under the thumb. Of, of oppressors, uh, not insignificant. They nurtured Israel's identity in difficult times. So I don't know what, what you say with that, whatever. Custodians, custodians, um, and so on and so forth. I was doing this uh, exercise once that um, I remember the place was in Denver and it was a room full, you know, full of people, about 300 people. And one guy shouted out that, you know, we're doing this exercise publicly. And he said, hey, that's my wife. She does all those things. And this was like a, this like hilarious kind of moment because I was just about to say, who do you think these people are in our time? And you can write this answer in there. Who do you think the corresponding group, if you look at that list over there, who the corresponding group in our time? Come on, write. The church, them are us. It's precisely our former church. Um, you know, or broadly speaking, you know, Protestants, you know, we believe the Bible, you know, and all that's so not the liberal Protestant thing. It's the evangelicals. Um, so, so here's the thing. Here's the thing, friends, that we have to grapple with. The evangelicals are the ones who had the biggest problem with Jesus. And yet they were all the things that we normally think are the things that ought to be pursued. And, 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 and you know what? Um, you know, they're the ones who put Jesus to death or most responsible. Uh, and we need to sit with that. Um, um, now, I'll let you off the hook a little bit on this. So Jesus actually says that they're correct in all their doctrine. Um, but the thing is that they they strain at gnats and swallow camels. They believe all these things, but they, the things of love, justice, mercy, they don't. They forget that kind of stuff. Um, but all I was to say, like, it is a really clarifying experience to think about how they are us, our church, us in the room right now. All the qualities that were respected there, these are the people that had most problems with Jesus. And they ended up putting him on the cross. I was... Um, a similar kind of exercise was doing. Actually, this was at Asbury College in the South, um, in Kentucky. And um, it was a class. And I, I, was, I was suggesting to them, what do you think would happen 
if uh, if Jesus came to their church, um, you know, after similar kind of thinking about Jesus, the radical Jesus, and how religious people really didn't like him very much, um, the one guy said, we'd probably kill him again. Now, gosh, I hope not. I really do. But I think they'd run him out of town. I don't think they'd recognize him. Uh, he was a stirrer, friends. And you know, the people who hated him the most were the religious people. The sinners couldn't get enough of him. The religious people hated his guts. So what do you think would happen if Jesus came to your church? It's one of the questions I want you to think about. Because, um, friends, holiness, which, you know, you're from the holiness tradition, is not moralism. Please get that right. Um, it's not the same thing as being moral and upright. Now, I think being holy means you might be, you, you ought to be moral, but only because the Lord your God is holy. Holiness is a redemptive idea, friends. And the, the, where we get the best expression of holiness is in Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. And you look at how Jesus, the Holy One, God's Holy One, acts. He comes into the world. He engages people where they're at. He doesn't withdraw himself from them. And it's a redemptive, redeeming holiness by orienting the world back to God, by engaging himself missionally in the lives of people and bringing them and reorienting and returning them, as the word, to, 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 their, to their Lord. And the only one more thing I would say, and this relates to that um, the thing I had mentioned about Nazism, but um, I think that 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 all this thing about you know go back to Illuminus Christless Christianity, Christianity minus Christ equals religion. I think the real problem here is that most of our churches are really really bad at discipleship. But discipleship, my friends, is this: is the right response to the fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's the response that you give. You appropriate his salvation with great thanksgiving, salvation army, right? We are saved, but you come under his lordship. And it's a commitment, not just to a set of beliefs that you nod your head to and say, I believe in Jesus and take him into my heart. That means absolutely nothing if it's without following him. But you actually commit yourself to, to following in the way of Jesus Christ and appropriating the way. And, and Christ's likeness becomes our form. If we're not doing that, I think we end up with what Bonhoeffer deeply lamented uh, in, in, in the Germany of his time. And, and you know, his stuff is well on record um, in, in, in his writings and discipleship, particularly. He articulated that it, it, a church that without discipleship is a church inevitably that is without Christ. And a Christless Christianity is a, is a church without discipleship. The link between the two is essential. Discipleship is our means of conforming ourselves as both individuals, but as a body of Christ to the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if that is not happening, friends, then we end up with what Bonhoeffer called Christless Christianity, which is what he was dealing with in Nazi Germany. But and then the question I, I think what I think, let me say, you can you can question me and I hope you do. But I think that to some degree. We're dealing with that in America at the moment. A church that doesn't look, act, and sound and think like Jesus. It's, it claims to be very Christian. These people prayed before they raided the, um, the you know, the, the houses of parliament and all that. Um, but um, it, 
it's it doesn't look like Jesus. And I think we've got a big job on our hands, friends. Um, but you know, even where you are, thank God it's not quite the same where you're at. But I think we got this is symptomatic of our church of our time. So um with that in mind, let me send you to your to your rooms again uh, with this question. Uh, I've already kind of mentioned them. What would you, and I want you to be honest about this. Just think about Jesus as, as he was, and you read the scriptures, the kind of person he was, and how people interacted with him. What do you honestly think would happen if Jesus turned up at a Sunday worship gathering? Would you recognize him? Would you welcome him? Or would it be an interesting engagement? Um, that's one. Number two, Boniface suggested what he called Christless Christianity lay at the root of the German church's capitulation to Nazism in the 1930s and the 1940s. Do you think is this, that we might have a problem with this in our day? And again, I'm talking largely about the American context, and you think I might be overreacting. Feel free to disagree, but I want you to talk about that if you can, and correct me, if, if, console me if you can on that issue. It's been a privilege to have Alan Hirsch with us. Alan, we want to thank you for the gift of God you are to the church. Um, we want to encourage you to keep going on about Jesus. Please keep championing Jesus. You compel us to do the same. And what a great person to talk about. What a great lifestyle to follow. And his church is a true representation of him. Is a dream we aspire to. I wonder, Alan, if you've got a couple of minutes to leave something with us as a parting shot, as I might say, as we reflect on this through the day. Alan, over to you. Yeah, well, um, I, I think if I if I would, I, I, I would say, I mean, the question was, you know, how do we keep ourselves from being Pharisees? Well, I think the best thing is, you know, is to to stick very, very, very close to Jesus. And um, um, you can't go wrong if you become more and more like Jesus. You cannot go wrong. Not possible. You can go wrong being different kinds of Christian, but you, I say to people, and you, you know, you work with people like this to say, you're not Jesus. If you think you're Jesus, take your pills. But you must become more like him. And here's the thing is that what I love about discipleship, which most of our churches, I was never taught this. Unfortunately, I had to teach myself in some ways, hack my way into it. But the discipleship is essentially the job of the role, the privilege of becoming more and more and more and more and more and more like Jesus every year. Better than I was last year. I should be more like Jesus every year. Pilgrim's March, not perfect, but we, I need to be more like Jesus every year. To be and here's some other images from, from Paul, to be transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. This is from the Lord is the Spirit. And we get that by contemplating him. We who beholding him are changed into his likeness. So we have to contemplate Jesus. And then Paul says in Romans 8, 28, uh, our eternal destiny is to be conformed, indexed to Jesus. We're meant to look, act, sound, and think like Jesus, confirmation, lovely word, to be in Christ, to abide in Jesus. It's a very Jesus-based affair. 
uh, discipleship is doing the same kinds of things that Jesus would do if um, um, discipleship is doing the same kinds of things that Jesus would um, would do if he were you. Um, and no, sorry, uh, same kinds of thing that Jesus did for the same kinds of reasons that he did them. I well, mixed them up a little bit. Um, so doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did for the same kinds of th reasons that he did them. And I think you can't go wrong. And my advice to you and to us all is that stick close to Jesus, friends, and, you know, to be a, a people that kind of mirror him to the world. You, you really cannot go wrong there. So that would be my word to you. Thank you.